Hey everybody, we're glad you're here with us today. Just wanted to give you a reminder that this week is actually, um, this podcast is actually for two weeks ago. This is for June 12th, but I never got it out on time. So I wanted to apologize for that and let you guys know that we are back to a regular schedule. Um, whether it's just beef or just slim or a combination of friends and other people, we will be out on a weekly basis from here on out. Um, We really appreciate you guys listening. Hope you enjoyed. This is Just Father Adam uh, talking about the readings from June 12th. Have a great one. Welcome back to another episode of the Ramblings of Beef and Slim. I am Father Adam, a.k.a. Beef, and this week Slim is out of town. He has left me alone to run the gamut with the podcast. So we're going to give this a shot of me flying solo. I apologize in advance for um, whatever boredom may come as a lack of result of Kyle and I making um, slight insults and comments towards one another. Um, We're going to give this a shot. So I'm actually on my way out the door soon to head on to the weekly retreat or annual retreat. with my brother priest of the Archdiocese and the bishop up in Atchison, Kansas of Benedictine College. Um, so, let's get this thing underway. Um, as anybody from Prince of Peace may have heard, and for other people um, outside the parish, uh, the Archbishop has asked me to take a new assignment. So, effective July 1st, I will become the pastor down in Garnet in Greeley, Kansas, to Holy Angels and St. John the Baptist. Um, it's something I'm very much looking forward to. It's going to be sad um, to leave the people here at Prince of Peace, but I know that the good Lord is going to take care of me and continue to help me in my ministry. Um, but with that, Kyle and I, um, knowing that this is a possibility for a while, have tossed around a couple of different ideas. Of course, we were uncertain of what my distance was going to be until the last few weeks when everything was um, nailed into place. So Kyle and I are definitely going to try to keep this podcast going. We've talked about a couple different possibilities of trying to uh, get together every couple of weeks and record two or three of these together, or maybe doing a few together and a few separate, either um, flying solo kind of like this, or bringing in guest um, people, guest uh, co-hosts or whatever you want to call them. So Please feel free um, to let us know your opinions if you have any ideas on what can help us um, in this time of transition. Oh, also, I want to say that this week we are, or I am, it's not we this week, I am recording using uh, the recorder that I use for my homilies. It's I'm in my desk at my office, um, so I have no idea what the quality is. I'm also recording with my phone to see which one works better, so also trying to test out new technology, so if the quality is not great. Um, apologize in advance, and hopefully Kyle can work some of those things out um, in the future. And also, I'm going to go ahead and throw out a shameless plug or shameless plea that if anybody knows how to record remotely well for podcasts, we would love um, some help on that too. That's another possibility we've talked about. Anyway, um, without further ado, let's jump into the readings. So we are coming up on the 11th Sunday in Ordinary Times. And our first reading today is from 2 Samuel, chapter 12, verses 7 to 10 and 13. Our second reading is Galatians 2, 16, and then 19 to 21. And then our gospel um, has two forms, a longer form and the shorter form. But the longer form is Luke 7, 36 to chapter 8, verse 3. 
So it is a long one and a little bit of a beasty one, but it is an awesome one. And looking at these readings, um, we have this amazing trend or idea of mercy going through this and our need to go to the Lord asking for his mercy, acknowledging our sinfulness, and um, just being honest with ourselves. Um, that's sort of been a theme, I guess, that's come up in the last couple of talks I've given around the parish, and I talked about it last night with the youth group in our holy hour, was we've got to be honest about our sinfulness. We can't lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves saying, um, oh, I'm okay, I'm good enough, and, and just sort of leave it at that. Because when we do that, God is going uh, to humble us if we fail to humble ourselves as some of our saints and some of our theologians have put out there in different ways. Um, and so again, that's, I think, sort of a way of understanding the tone for what we have in our readings today. Um, so we're going to jump in. So our first reading from 2 Samuel picks up with King David, and the, Nathan the prophet is talking to him, and this is after the Bathsheba event. And in this event, um, David has sent his men off on... Um, the journey, they're off um, going into war, and David sees Bathsheba, a woman bathing on top of her house as he's looking out upon um, the kingdom that's in front of him. And he sees her and he gives in to his lustful temptations, and um, they come together, and then she is pregnant. And so the way that he tries to rectify this is calling her husband back from the front lines and having him come and spend time with her. Her husband, being a good and upright man, because the rest of his company is out um, in the field, does not go into the house because they're supposed to abstain from relations at the time. It's one of the sacrifices they made in the time of war. And so he wants to make sure that everybody knows that he's being upright and he's following the command. So he sleeps um, outside the house so anybody can see. And David's hope that, you know, the assumption could be made that the child that's born um, is her husband's falls short. And so as a result, Uriah, the husband, is sent back out with the order from King David to put him on the front line, and then when the enemy comes around, pull back. So in essence, David has him killed. He commits the sin of murder after committing the sin of adultery, of stealing this man's wife. And Nathan comes, and right before this, is a six verses preceding, it's awesome, he gives this beautiful story about a rich man, and that's um, indirectly about the same thing that David has done, his sinfulness that he's gone in. And he saw this beautiful gift from God that belongs to another man through marriage or is in the covenant or the sacrament of marriage, even though they wouldn't have had the sacrament at the time, um, the way that we understand it. But he said, I want that for myself. And he takes it upon himself and he brings him to his house. And then um, he steals that and then kills the man for it. And David condemns the equivalent of um, a thief in this story and Nathan says, exactly. And he says, this is what you've done. And then he goes into this great listing. He says, I've anointed you the king of Israel. I've rescued, for, rescued you from the hand of Saul, who wanted to kill him. I gave you your Lord's house and your Lord's wives for your own. So you've already got um, plenty of people to express your love to. Um, I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. He says, if that's not enough, I could continue to count for you. I've given you more than you can possibly imagine, more than you could possibly long for. Um, and he says, why have you rejected me? And then he points out directly the sin that he has committed. Um, and then David's response to Nathan, to the prophet. So to God, through his representative, he says, I've sinned against the Lord. And then it's after that moment that Nathan says, the Lord on his part has forgiven your sin. You shall not die. 
And it's a good reminder for us, again, of the fact that we need to come before the Lord and speak humbly before him. And in our own lives, we need to realize or remember that God has given us more than we could possibly imagine. We talk about this theme a lot in the podcast. I know it's one that I preach on, but by virtue of our baptism, God has given us more than we could possibly imagine. He's given us the opportunity for eternal life. And every time that we sin, even in just the venial sins, we're losing sight of that at least temporarily, or at least partially. And we're sort of taking our focus away away from God then, and we sort of back up away from God. Or we take our focus off, we look a little bit to the right, we look a little bit more to the side, as opposed to straight on to God's glory. And then, of course, in the, the tragedy of a mortal sin where we, we know we've got grave matter, we know that it's wrong, and we choose to do it anyway, we completely sever ourselves with God, which is the state that David is in. And it's only once David acknowledges his sinfulness that that mercy is there. That God says through his prophet, I'm going to forgive you. You're not going to die. And of course, at this time, the idea of the afterlife is um, nowhere near where it is at the time of Christ. And even at the time of Christ, it's still a relatively new thing. You know, you can look through the scriptures and see hints of it, uh, but it's not something that would have held up. So everything that they had in terms of reward and punishment took place in this life. And so in a very real way, the Lord is saying, you're not going to die now. But there's also that pointing to eternity. You're not going to die the eternal death. You're not going to die the eternal punishment. What we would say now, you're not going to be sent into hell because you've repented. And so again, the invitation of ourselves is of whatever sin we've had to make sure that we're asking the Lord for his forgiveness. We're asking him for mercy. And this year of mercy, it's a beautiful time for us to do that in particular. And um, we should be doing that every day. The church encourages us to enter into our prayer, to enter into the Lord's mercy and ask for his forgiveness, um, ideally each night before we go to bed. And we're told that any time we make an act of contrition, we put ourselves contrite before God, um, our venial sins are forgiven. They're also forgiven through the reception of the Eucharist or blessing ourselves with holy water, if that's our intention, if we make ourselves humble before the Lord. Um, but then we commit those mortal sins, we need to return to the Lord in the sacrament of reconciliation. We imitate here what King David has done. We imitate what we see the apostles like Peter, um, after he denies that he knows Jesus, which I would say fall into the grave sin category. And he returns to the Lord and he says, I'm sorry. And he receives that mercy from God. Because God's not going to force his mercy. He's not going to force his love upon us. It's something that we have to cooperate with in our own lives. <clears throat> And so again, I think that's the tone that's sort of set for us um, in these readings. And if we go to the Lord, it's the most beautiful thing that I get to do as a priest, or one of them, is that when someone comes and says, I've sinned, I've screwed up, this is how I've done it, and they've got a contrite heart, my words will be, I absolve you. Or, to put it in the same words as Nathan, the Lord in this part has forgiven your sin, you shall not die. That you have life again within you, because God loves you so immensely. And all those things that he's given you, you are able to refresh, or have with a fresh view, a fresh understanding, and to go back out into the world um, to strive to make a difference, to strive to help people as well. Now at this point, Kyle would give some sort of banter and some sort of ridiculous question. Um, I got nothing, so I'm going to hopefully let that be a little bit of comic pause, and it's not just super awkward as I take a little cough drop in from my throat. Okay. So our second reading, um, again, comes from Galatians. It's Paul writing um, to his brothers and sisters there. And here he's talking about his own conversion, his own turning towards God. And this picks up, of course, again, with the same theme that he had. 
excuse me, this last week where he says, you know, I was a sinner. I persecuted the church, but it was by God's grace that I've been brought back on track. Um, and so here's something that we need to pay attention. We who know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by the faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And there's that nice debate that goes on between Catholics and non-Catholic Christians of are we faith, saved by just our faith alone or do we have to do um, good works? And the problem here is when we look at just individual verses, it's easy to find whatever argument you want to make. Um, you can make any argument you can possibly imagine if you're going to go and look and take just individual verses or parts of verses. We have to remember that we have to look at the entire scripture as a whole. We have to look at, especially here, because we have a lot of works from Paul or people um, who are with Paul, we need to look at the entirety of what he has said. And elsewhere, he makes very clear that he says, you show me a faith without works, I'll show you a faith that's dead. That if we truly love God, if we've truly accepted the gospel news, that God himself is three persons, one God, as we talked about on Trinity Sunday, if that God loves us so much he takes on flesh, as we talked about around Christmas and also the Easter season, and that he loved us so much that he died for us, he rose from the dead, and he continued to show us his love and mercy, we should respond in kind, as best we can in our human nature. And so Paul, I think we have to remember here, is going to be talking about that if we do have true faith, it's going to be acts that we do as a result of that faith. Paul's saying here, though, and we agree, is you can't just earn your faith. You can't just say, well, I just went to Mass every Sunday. I went to every holy day, of, holy day of obligation. I made my annual confession as I'm required to. I receive communion at least once a year. Um, I believe what's required of me to believe as a Catholic, at least, you know, minimally, and to say that, okay, I'm going to make it to heaven. You know, I'm going to do the absolute bare minimum. And I'm just looking at it in terms of checking off um, the to-do list, so to speak. Or I'm getting the shopping list done of my faith. He says that's not what we're called to do. We can't just do enough and say, okay, I'm saved by the fact that I've done what I'm supposed to do. He says you need to have faith. And we've talked about this before too. Our faith isn't one of rules. It's not one of just a book. It's not one of just stories. And those are absolutely necessary for our faith and the way that we understand it and the way that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. But our faith is first and foremost an encounter with the living God. And it's from that encounter, it's from that falling in love with God, that we're able to go out and do the amazing things. That we should desire an intimate relationship with him through baptism. And that desire should be so great that any children God has blessed us with, we should also desire it for them. As we continue to grow, anytime we make a mistake, anytime we screw up, we return to the Lord again in mercy as we talked about uh, with the first reading. We ask the Lord for the help that we need. And then Paul goes on to talk about that with that conversion, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And this is the hinge of how we live out our, our Christian life, is we realize our life is not our own. Our life is to be lived for the sake of others. And hopefully Kyle's able to get my homily up from this last week. But that was um, at the heart of what I talked about. If we live our faith as long as it's comfortable, as long as it's easy, we're not going to be Christian very long. It's only a matter of time until trial, struggle, our own sinfulness, the sins of others are going to come our way. And if as soon as things get tough, as soon as things get difficult or things get awkward, if that's where we're going to leave the faith, 
we're not going to make it very long. I never would have made it to priesthood. I never would have made it through my theology degree in college. Because our faith or our life isn't our own. And our faith isn't one of just comfort. It's not just a philosophy that we follow. Um, as I've talked about, Bishop Barron, one of my formators in seminary, and because of his role as rector, gave us a lot of talks, and so became one of the major um, influences in my understanding of a lot of our theology and how we apply it to the world. And then because of his great gift of preaching, I continue to go back to him um, because he's reaching more people than um, anybody but the Pope. I think I talked about, I saw a statistic somewhere, someone told me that um, the only person who has more followers on social media is the Holy Father. He beats everybody else. So we got to pay attention to what he says. And the thing that one of his mantras um, or things that he says fairly often is that we can't reduce Christianity to just a philosophy. Or we can't say that Jesus was just a good philosopher, that he says things that are nice to follow. Because that's not our faith. Our faith is one that requires some suffering, requires sacrifice. Our life isn't about ourselves. If you look at the other great philosophies, a lot of them have to do with taking care of ourselves. Have to look at being introspected and making sure that we're comfortable, making sure that our needs are met as opposed to the needs of others. And so we have here Paul saying, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm no longer living my life the way I would choose to live it if there was no God. He says, I'm doing what God wants me to do. Um, and I think it's a beautiful thing for us to remember that our life is for the sake of others. Um, I had another thought, and this is usually when I'd look at Kyle and have him stall for me, but he's not here. So I'm going to have to stall for myself, so it's not just that weird, awkward silence, and you wonder if I continue to have the thing rolling or not. But I got nothing. So maybe I'll double back to that idea. Um, oh, there it is. Boom. Mary took care of me. And so this is a realization, or a revelation, um, I had a couple years ago when I was praying um, a couple of the Marian prayers. It was in the midst of the rosary, I think, that I had it. Um, but as we pray the, the Hail Mary, so we, the first half of it comes directly from Scripture. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And that comes from um, the Annunciation and the Visitation. And then we put Jesus, because that's the fruit of her womb. When we say, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. And it hit me, and this may have even been in college, this was years ago, that the death that we die and that we're praying for there shouldn't just be the death when we physically die. But it should be the death that we're called to die every day. And so at the hour of our death, it should be a constant thing throughout our life. And again, to look at the life of a parent, their life is no longer their own. When their child screams or cries, they have to attend to that. The poopy diaper, the, the hungry baby, the whatever's going on. Um, run to the ER, run to the hospital to take care of them, whatever the case may be. Their life isn't their own. And so they're dying to their desires by taking care of their child. Or the husband and wife who are first married and working through, where does the Tupperware go? Or who's going to clean what and who's going to mow what and who's going to do this and that and who's going to do the shopping and take care of the checkbook. And as they're starting to work through those things, it's no longer just about them. It's what's best for us as a couple now. <coughs> Excuse me. And then what will be best for us, God willing, if we have children. And so as we pray that prayer, be conscious of that. Ask Mary to be specifically maybe that area that's a struggle right now. If you are married or if you're in school or your relationship of whatever sort, if it's tough to let the other person to have what they need or to be the servant of them, to assist them in their way, that's a beautiful way for us to pray 
um, asking Mary's intercession in those specific moments of our life, of our daily conversion closer to God. Um, and another thing that we said, and if I would have thought better, I would have thought it, um, but we say this at the, couple, at the end of a couple different prayers, um, but pray for us we may be, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. And one thing that Christ never promises us is an easy life, is a comfortable life. But he does promise us if we carry our cross each day, if we strive to follow the will of the Father, follow the inspiration of the Holy Spirit within us, if we imitate Christ, that we will end up in heaven. If we put that love of God into practice within our own lives, we have that conversion, then we are guaranteed eternal life with the God who loves us so much that he died for us. But also comes with that persecution. So in our weekday readings of recording on Mondays, we usually do, we begin the Beatitudes, or we read from the Beatitudes, we begin the Sermon on the Mount. And in that we're seeing and we're told by Jesus that our life is in our own. And he talks about a couple times in today's gospel that those will be blessed who are persecuted. And today's gospel ended with, um, I forget exactly how it was worded, but they persecuted the prophets who have gone before you. And so those men who are beautiful witnesses to the faith, those who lived out the faith in an amazing way that we know God was present with them, they all suffered. They were persecuted. They were attacked by society, by the world. And so there's that gentle reminder of saying, if that happened to them, who were the representatives of God before you, it's going to happen to you too, if you're living out your faith well. And of course, it will be different to each person at different times of history, but we need to be aware of that. We need to be conscious of that and be honest with ourselves and say, this is what I'm truly signing up for, that my reward will be in heaven. My reward may not come in this life. No, it may. There are many saints who have had you know, blessed lives in different ways. Um, but Blessed Teresa of Calcutta, soon to be um, St. Teresa of Calcutta, always had a smile on her face, even though she was in desolation. Um, as you read those letters, at least I got the sense that there's still an inner peace and inner joy in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the, the struggle that's going on within her. And so there's that balance of the suffering of the cross, but also of the taste of the reward. And I think it's something that uh, we need to hold in balance in our life. Again, something I talked about in my homily yesterday. All right, enough of that. I could spend all day talking about that dynamic. I think it's a, it's a beautiful one. Um, but then we move on to our gospel. Luke 7, 36 to chapter 8, verse 13. So chapter 7, verse 36 to chapter 8, verse 3. Um, and so here we have um, a little gut check time. One of our professors in seminary um, said, anytime you see in the gospels, somebody talking about the Pharisees, the scribes, the zealots, the Sadducees, um, ask yourself, how am I like them? Because so the way that we need to read these, so this is about a Pharisee. A Pharisee invited Jesus to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And then there's the woman that comes in um, and anoints Jesus, and she cries and wipes her, wipes his feet with her hair and her tears. And the Pharisee gets mad, and he goes to the point where he says, "If this man were a prophet, he would have known, or he would know who and what sort of woman this is." who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And so he's judgmental towards Jesus, judging the way in which he is working in the world. And, you know, I think this is something we need to keep in mind right now. Our Holy Father, Pope Francis, is taking a little bit different approach. You know, I like to point out that he's completely in line with every Holy Father that's come before him. He's completely in line with church teaching. But the way in which he is living out the faith, or the flavor in which he's living out the faith, 
is a little bit different. It's it's refreshing. It's um, it's an amazing witness to the faith. He seeks out just as Christ would have done the lost, the broken, um, the sad, and it's something that the media has picked up in an amazingly beautiful way. I mean, to a fault to the point where they miss the points where he does stand in line with church teaching because it doesn't fit with what they're trying to present of him. Um, but he's been a beautiful refreshment of it. And that's not to belittle anything about Pope Benedict or um, St. John Paul the Great, because they're both men, and John Paul is the name I requested when I was in the Abbey. Um, so he's a man that's very dear and near to my heart. Um, but they all had their own ways in which they're evangelizing, and Francis's way is, is a little bit different, and it's causing people um, scandal. It's causing them, I think, to act like these Pharisees. And I know I've caught myself doing it, luckily... By God's grace, I'm doing it less now than when he first started. But are we acting like the Pharisees sometimes with our Holy Father? Or with that person at church who is striving to evangelize? Or that person who does good things? Or are they acting like Christ? Or are they seeking out the lost? Are they seeking out those who are hungry for the good news? Um, and part of the reason why the Pharisee is saying this is because he does know the law. And when somebody was unclean, when somebody was unworthy... If you touch them, it's like someone who is dead, which goes back to last week's gospel. Um, when Jesus touches that coffin, you touch somebody that's dirty, that makes you unclean. And so you have to be ritually purified. And this goes back with the, the Good Samaritan parable as well. That you were made unclean, you had to be ritually cleansed before you could return to temple sacrifice, temple worship. But with Christ, we see the opposite happen. Christ is undoing it. When people come to touch him, he's not made unclean, but his cleanliness, his power, his grace flows from him into these people and offers them healing. And so the opposite happens of what they're expecting. And so Jesus, I think in a very pastoral but direct way, he talks to Simon. He says, I hear this, what this guy is saying, and I'm going to talk to Peter. So he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Peter, being a good apostle, says, tell me, teacher. He goes with this parable. Two people were in debt to a certain creditor. One owed 500 days wages and the other owed 50. Since they were unable to repay the debt, he forgave it for both. Simon's, which one of them will love him more? Simon said in reply, The one, I suppose, whose larger debt was forgiven. He said to him, You have judged rightly. And that's exactly as Jesus is doing this. It's, it's what's going on. This woman, because then Jesus goes and continuing to talk to Simon, but says to this woman, um, this is, you didn't do these things. You didn't clean me. You didn't anoint my oil. You didn't do anything nice to me um, as I greeted your house. But this woman has come in. She's washed my feet. She's anointed me with this ointment. She's wiped, uh, used her hair to wipe me. She's um, kissed my feet where you didn't give me a kissing as I came in. And um, saying, she's doing all the things that you failed to do as I entered this house. And he says, because you love me, your sins are forgiven. Because you have fallen short, but have come to me, you're taken care of. Um, and then this continues on and says, after this, um, they go on proclaiming, and he, the twelve um, continue to share in the mission of Jesus. And then it even um, talks about Mary Magdalene, the one from whom seven demons had gone out, um, was invited in there. So again, referring to the fact that Jesus had made her clean, now she's keeping company with him, that she is now walking with him because of his mercy. And as I was reading this, um, the idea of a, of a convert came to mind. And so I don't know, especially in college, I went to a Catholic school, like I said, Benedictine, and there were several people who joined the church there. And I've known some in other places as well. 
But there's an interesting dynamic that those who tend to convert to the faith are oftentimes those who have the greater zeal. That because they went years of their life without knowing, either without knowing Christ at all, or without knowing Christ in the gift of the sacraments, they fall short, or they've missed that in their life um, in various ways. And when they get a taste of that, because they knew life without it, they're much more solid, they're much more um, on fire, desiring that grace to continue to grow up within themselves. And so it was this interesting dynamic in college that those who were converts tended to live the faith more boldly, more amazingly, than those who were born and raised in it and had this gift from the moment of their birth. They were the quote-unquote cradle Catholics. And the converts that I knew, um, a couple of them I worked with in some evangelization efforts, were a beautiful witness for me, reminding me of what my faith should look like. That it shouldn't just be something that I take for granted or something I walk through the motions, but that I try to live it boldly and amazingly. Um, and I, I fell short. There were times where I had successes, times I didn't do it perfectly. Um, that's just the way we are in our, our fallen human nature. We're still, still trying to grow. Um, but I just encourage you to look at your own life to see if you've known any of those people. And if you have, to uh, look to them as an example. Because oftentimes, and history tells us this, our saints tell us this, that it's oftentimes those who have known God's mercy the most are those who are most desiring to share it. Or those who have hurt the most are those that are most able to um, talk with someone who's going through pain or going through a period of suffering and struggle in their own lives. Um, and so I just encourage you to think of maybe someone that you know truly motivated in your life or, that's, or truly motivated in their faith that's in your life to, to spend some time in prayer pondering that mystery within that person, asking what um, you can learn from that, asking God to give you the strength to be able to imitate that in a bold uh, bold way in your own life. Um, so yeah, we could continue to talk about that, but again, I think it's in the same vein of that mercy and that she makes that movement towards God first, and then she receives the mercy, which is what happens um, in the sacrament of reconciliation, or all of our sacraments. There's got to be a movement towards God, at least a little bit, and then God comes towards us to finish the gap, because he loves us so much he's not going to force himself on us. Um, so as we've said, Kyle and I are taking questions, and so we got a couple in, and uh, this one's from a while back, but I think it's in the vein of striving to do God's will. And so this one comes to us from Karen. You have spoken a few times about a spiritual advisor. What is a spiritual advisor, and how do I get one? Uh, this is a good question. And so spiritual advisor, spiritual director, are two um, separate things, but they're somewhat related. So in both of them, they should be men or women who have been properly trained, who have been taught um, some stuff about the spiritual life. And their purpose um, is to walk with you in your spiritual life. And so a spiritual advisor, and I'm a little bit more shady on this, but it's not as in-depth. So they're more walking with you in general in your spiritual life. And so I know I talked to some people who meet with spiritual advisors versus a spiritual director. And they um, sort of talk about different parts of your life and just in general, what are you doing well? What can you continue to do better? Um, where are you growing? Where are your struggles? Where are your successes? And they have spiritual conversations to help um, sort of walk with you. A spiritual director, at least this is the way it presented to me, I know there are different ways um, that can be approached, is that you talk to, you meet with somebody and you talk about their prayer life and you, you try to really keep it focused on what is God doing in your prayer life and what is God trying to speak to you or where is God trying to call you to conversion, what's he trying to do in your life and they try to keep the focus there and they sort of, and they, as it says, um, 
spiritual director, they sort of try to direct you. So um, when you talk to them, you, you put out there, this is what's going on in my prayer. This is what I took to prayer, whether it was a scripture passage or an event in my life or a saint from a saying from a saint or something along those lines and say, this is what happened. Uh, this is what I think God said to me, or this is where my mind went, or this hurt, or this felt comfortable. These are the thoughts, feelings, desires that were associated with it, uh, and so on. And then they try to sift through it, and through, again, training and the gift of the Holy Spirit in a way proper to their state in life, are able to help them discern, well, I think God wants you to spend more time on this, or I think God wants you to address this, or God wants you to take this specific action out into the world. So that's sort of what they are, and again, there are different approaches to it, but those are general ways, at least that those two phrases have been presented uh, to me. And so how do you get one? Um, talk to your local priest, talk to your parish priest. Um, there are different people that are, have, again, have been trained. You don't want to go to someone who's not been trained because um, that just opens a door for hurt and pain um, and stuff, because these people also should say things that will challenge you, things that you may not like to hear. Um, at least at certain times. There should also, of course, be support and whatnot. But we want to make sure that we've got someone who's trained that can say things appropriately or know when to say them, when not to say them. Um, there. So talk to your priest. Maybe you can find someone in our archdiocese. We've got the spiritual mentorship program, which um, lends itself towards a spiritual advisor type of relationship. Um, and some priests have gone through different programs of training the Institute for Priestly Formation. I know does it. Um, but then gets you pointed in that right direction. And there should always be sort of an interview process with somebody before you start that. Um, and there should also be the freedom um, if things aren't working well or if you don't feel comfortable to be able to talk through that and if necessary um, to go ahead and to pull back on that. Um, so that's it for today. Um, we got some more questions. We'll have to get to those later because we are over our limit. And I know me speaking along is probably boring. So hopefully you've been able to hang in there with me. Um, so would like to, again, encourage you to send in your emails to, um, I'm trying to look it up, contactramblings at popolatha.org, contactramblings at popolatha.org, or you have to go back and check the uh, old podcast for the email, or for the number to text Kyle at, because uh, he has that, I do not. Um, again, any advice that you have to help Kyle and I know a good way to navigate this I move forward here in just a couple of weeks uh, would be awesome and look forward to hearing from you. Hope all is well. God bless.